Uh, I recalled um, a famous quip this week from Mark Twain, uh, the American writer and entrepreneur, 19th century. He famously said, the two most important days in any person's life is the day they were born and the day they discover why. The day they were born and the day they discover why. Uh, yesterday, uh, Steph and I had a chance to spend some time down in Surbiton with our new niece, uh, Betsy. We've got two nieces, Bella and Betsy. It was a real wonderful day. And I was thinking, knowing I was speaking today, I was thinking of those words. Um, I'm sure Betsy won't remember the day she was born, but she'll look back and see some photos. Uh, but my prayer for her as we drove away from the house is that one day she will come to know why she was born and that it won't just be an answer the world might give her, but it would be she was born because she was created by a perfect God who loves her. And she was created to know him. But I guess the, the why is a, a question that any person can ask. But I suspect that the most people in the world would answer the why in all sorts of different ways. But maybe not the way that the living God would not want to answer that question. And so I want to challenge each of us tonight to think about what's your why for why you exist. And the passage that we had read um, will help us in that. It was interesting just listening to the final sort of words of Neil this morning challenging us with what are we going to do with the Easter story? Are we going to deny it? Are we going to doubt it? Or are we going to worship and obey? Uh, and so as we think about the person of Christ tonight and you think in the back of your mind that question, why? Why do you exist? Is your why deeply, deeply connected to this man Jesus? And if it's not, then allow your heart to be challenged tonight that your why, your purpose for living is connected to him. Because that's what this passage is all about. John chapter 10, verse 10, the final verse um, that Isabel read to us at the end of the reading. I have come that they may have life and have it to the full. Full there is not speaking of kind of busyness. Full is talking about um, a kind of an abundance. It's a word that speaks of kind of surpassing all measure. Jesus is saying, that is the sort of life I want you to live. A life of abundance that surpasses any other pleasure. He's saying, there's a life that I want to give you that is greater than any life you'd experience anywhere else in the world. It's greater than anything anyone else can give you. It's greater than anything else you can find. It's greater than anything you could buy or purchase. I have come that you may have life and life to the full. And of course, this Easter, we've been celebrating new life in different ways. Um, but I want us tonight just to reflect briefly on three wonderful truths of what that life that Jesus offers us is. And these are just three simple, simple truths. And my one purpose tonight is to encourage your heart with these truths. Three really simple truths from Jesus to you, to me, to encourage us with our why in living the abundant life. And here's the first one. Our little reading we had from John chapter 10 tells us this wonderful truth that you, if you're trusting in Christ, if you're worshipping him with all of your heart tonight, you belong to the Good Shepherd. You don't know the Good Shepherd, you don't know about the Good Shepherd, you belong to the Good Shepherd. And that's very, very significant. You see in the reading there, if you've got your Bible open, very truly I tell you Pharisees, Anyone who does not enter the sheep pen by the gate, but climbs in by some other way, is a thief and a robber. The one who enters by the gate is the shepherd of the sheep. And so in that one verse, what uh, we're reading is a contrast between a good shepherd, the true shepherd, and a false shepherd. If you had a um, uh, somewhere where the sheep in a pen were kept at night, there was one way in. It was through the gate, and that's where the good shepherd would enter to gather his sheep and take them out. 
There's another way in, but it's not the proper way in. It's to hop over the wall, to jump in in the night, maybe to steal a sheep, or if you're a wolf, to jump in and kill a sheep. And so in that one verse, Jesus is contrasting the good shepherd with a bad shepherd. But he's not just talking about shepherds. He knows that as he speaks to the Pharisees, they're the very people who should have known the Old Testament scriptures. And loads of times in the Old Testament, we learn about shepherds. Some of them are good, some of them are bad. And so here, where Jesus is speaking about a true shepherd, he's hoping all the people listening in are thinking about the shepherds in the Old Testament. I can give you loads of examples of different shepherds, but here's two of them. Uh, We've been doing a little series in Numbers, haven't we, in the evening? Uh, Numbers chapter 27. Uh, This is a little later on from where we we were in our series. Um, Moses said to the Lord, May the Lord, the God who gives breath to all living things, appoint someone over this community to go out and come in before them, one who will lead them out and bring them in, so the Lord's people will not be like sheep without a shepherd. And isn't that what a true shepherd does? A, A true shepherd leads them in, into the safety of a pen at night, and leads them out again. Just think of Jesus. One chapter before in John's Gospel, in chapter 9, we read these amazing words that Jesus saw the people and he saw them as harassed and helpless. Do you know the verse? Like sheep without a shepherd. As the living God, as Jesus Christ looks out over his world and he sees people he made and created whom he loves. The people who he wants to give a why to, but perhaps people give their own why to themselves. He looks at these people and he says... I want to give you life and life in its fullness. But he looks at people who don't know him and says, you're like sheep without a shepherd, mangled, dying, and you need me. And of course here, when Moses is speaking to the Lord, he's preparing to pass on the baton, as it were, to Joshua. And Joshua will be the one who leads God's people into the promised land. And Joshua is a kind of type of Christ. He's a picture. Who he is and what he did is painting a picture that looks forward to Jesus. Jesus, the true Joshua, who wouldn't lead God's people into the promised land in Canaan, but would lead God's people into the true promised land of eternal life with himself. And so here Jesus is speaking and he's using that picture of the Old Testament and saying, I am like Joshua and this is what I will do. I will lead out my people and I will lead them back in. I won't be like They won't be like sheep without a shepherd. So there's a kind of positive illustration of shepherds in the Old Testament. Then he comes on and uses a negative one from Ezekiel 34. Ezekiel was a prophet. He actually was a shepherd. But Ezekiel was told to speak words to God's people, and particularly to people like the Pharisees, but in the Old Testament, false prophets who were not leading God's people well. The word of the Lord came to me, this is Ezekiel, son of man, prophesy against the shepherds of Israel. Prophesy, that means speak to them with authority and say to them, this is what the sovereign Lord says. Woe to you shepherds of Israel who only take care of yourselves. Should not shepherds take care of the flock? And so you've got this picture from numbers of Joshua, who in a sense was a good shepherd, who was leading God's people forward into the promised land. And then here you've got a picture of bad shepherds, shepherds that didn't really care about their sheep, shepherds that just looked after themselves. It'd be a little bit like the farmers around us who've got sheep and they just never tend to their sheep. They never feed their sheep, water their sheep. They just drink endless cups of tea and sit on their tractor and do no work. Shepherds don't do that. Farmers don't do that. They work hard because they need to look after their livestock. And so Jesus gives a a picture of bad shepherds, good shepherds. He gives a picture of bad shepherds. And then he comes together and says, and I'm the true shepherd. Do you see there in verse 11? One true shepherd. 
I am the good shepherd, and the good shepherd lays down his life for the sheep. We thought about that over this whole weekend, haven't we? Not a good shepherd who just loves sheep, not a good shepherd who just leads sheep, but a good shepherd who's prepared to lay down his own life for his sheep because of this wonderful truth that you belong to the good shepherd. So wherever you're at tonight, whether you're in a good place or a bad place, I pray that you'll know that truth as you move into the new week. You belong to the good shepherd. And that's an amazingly powerful truth, isn't it? You belong to him. And here's another truth that's linked to belonging. Because you belong to him, here's a wonderful truth to encourage your hearts, you're incredibly special to him. And here's a, here's a picture of, in the ancient world of a kind of the shepherd pen. And you can see there, it would be maybe something like this, a bit of a stone wall around it. And you can see there that there's a kind of gate, isn't there, made of wood, and someone's sleeping in the gate. Any of the children spot who's sleeping in the gate there? Timo. It's a shepherd, yeah, or a gatekeeper. And what happens in the night, they bring the sheep, all the different shepherds bring their sheep into a sheep pen and they stick them in the sheep pen to keep them safe so they don't wander off, so that they can't be stolen, so that the wolves can't grab them and kill them. And then often the shepherd might pay what's called a hired hand. It might be like a shepherd boy, pay him a bit of money. And what the shepherd boy does is he literally sleeps in the gateway to stop the sheep going out and to stop the bad wolves getting in. And it might be quite crammed, and it wouldn't be very pleasant for the sheep, but they were safe. They were safe. And why did you put them in a sheep pen? Because the shepherd knew that his sheep were incredibly precious to him. When the living God looks at his church, why does he want to protect us? Why does he want us to know how special we are? Because of that truth that we are that special, and he wants to protect us. And so do you see in the reading there, in the morning, the gatekeeper, that may be the hired hand, the the shepherd boy, he opens the gate for him, that's for the shepherd, and the sheep listen to his voice. He calls his own sheep out by name and leads them out. Now I'm going to have a bit of fun, you might think I'm mad, but what noise does a sheep make? Okay, but sheep are quite noisy, so what real noise they make? Let's all get involved here. Come on, one more time. I bet you've never done that in a church before. Now, if I was to ask you, how do you feel when you're making a noise like a sheep? How do you feel? Say it. Stupid. You feel stupid. And I feel even more stupid for asking you to do it. But in that little moment, as you feel stupid, you're experiencing at least something of what it is like to be a sheep. They're stupid. Sheep are stupid. But there's one thing that's amazing about sheep. Sheep hear the voice of their shepherd. And if all the different sheep from different shepherds are put into the pen at night, when their shepherd comes along and calls them with his call or his whistle, they might be stupid, but they hear his voice and they follow him out. It's amazing that as he calls, verse 3, his own sheep by name, he leads them out. I just want you to know tonight just how special you are. How special you are. I don't know if you've ever been um, stuck in a crowd. Maybe you've been at a football match. Um, or I, I, I've been at Twickenham sometimes. 83,000 people sort of empty out of the rugby stadium. And most of them head to the train station. And you kind of get swept along in this great crowd. And you feel like tiny and minute. And if you've got a little child with you or anything, it's quite scary. Because they can kind of get lost in the crowd. Uh, the biggest crowd I ever got lost in was in Chennai. It's a city in South uh, East India. I have never seen so many people in all of my life. 
It's incredible. It's kind of like being on Oxford Street in London, or maybe at the Carfax Tower in Oxford on like the busiest day, the day before Christmas maybe. But it's kind of like that from five in the morning through to about two in the morning. There's just people everywhere. And I was there doing some sports ministry once, and we've been teaching some children very early in the morning before it got too hot and we were then journeying home and we said to the little tuk-tuk drivers um, do you know the name of this hotel and if you know Indians you know that when they're meant to nod and say yes they shake their head Um, but they said uh, oh yes sir we know so we thought well we're safe we got on the tuk-tuk and of course um, they spoke no English at all they just knew how to say yes sir so off they drove in their tuk-tuk and we got into the back streets of Chennai somewhere Um, we were horribly lost and there were people everywhere And they got to 40 plus degrees, it stank. And in that crowd, you just feel pretty helpless. In a foreign country, you don't speak any of their language, you feel very, very vulnerable. I smelt something horrendous yesterday, and it just reminded me of that moment in Chennai. But the incredible thing is, even in that moment of being utterly lost in a giant city, or for you maybe being swept along in a crowd at a football match, isn't it amazing that in a crowd where you just feel like nobody... God could call you by name and pick you out of that crowd. Any one of the 83,000 people coming out of Twickenham, he could pick you out. That's how special you are. Uh, in a sense, he could have picked me out of Chennai when I was utterly lost. That's how special I was to him. And so as it goes on, verse 4, when he had brought out all his sheep, he goes on ahead of them and his sheep follow him because they know his voice. Do you see the link there between following Jesus and knowing his voice there's a strong link in scripture between following christ and knowing him i think of the beginning of the gospel jesus calls the first disciples on the beach what does he say come follow me and he calls peter and andrew then he calls james and john that's four of them then he comes to choose the next eight and then when he's chosen all 12 we read in mark's gospel having said to each of them follow me we read he chose them that they might be with him See, Jesus calls us to follow him that we might know him. He doesn't call us to follow him that we put our trust in him, that we believe our sins have been forgiven, that's the end. He calls us to follow him that we know him, and as we continue to follow him, as we hear his voice, we grow up to know him better. And that's his purpose for us. And you might know those words in Colossians chapter 2, 6 and 7. They're some of the first verses I learnt in the Bible, and they're great discipleship verses I use all the time here in the church. So then, just as you received Christ Jesus as Lord, continue to live in him, rooted and built up in him, strengthened in the faith as you were taught, and overflowing with thankfulness. Follow me, that you might know me. You're incredibly special to him. And then, of course, when we have grasped that wonderful truth that we belong to the living God... When we've grasped that truth that he could pick us out of a crowd, you're incredibly special to him. We then see at the end of our reading, only in him do we find this kind of life, abundant life. Have a look at verse 7. Therefore Jesus said again, very truly I tell you, I am the gate for the sheep. All who have come before me are thieves and robbers, but the sheep have not listened to them. I am the gate. Whoever enters through me will be saved. Here Jesus is drawing on all the analogies in the Old Testament of shepherds. Bad shepherds, good shepherds. He says, I am the good shepherd. And all who enter through me will be saved. This is John chapter 10. Go forward four chapters. John chapter 14, verse 6. That really famous verse, you'll probably know it. Where Jesus says, I am the way, the truth, and the life. No one comes to the Father except through me. 
He said, unpacking a bit more of what that verse in chapter 10 was all about. And then you get a little contrast at the end, just to make us absolutely certain of what this abundant life is. He says, they, these are the false shepherds, come in and go out. Sorry, this is talking to the sheep. They will come in and go out and find pasture. It's a picture of security. It's a picture of abundance. But in contrast, you've got the thief, verse 10. The thief comes only to steal and to kill and to destroy. As Christians, we're in a battle. I was praying this morning at Jackie's with Dave as part of this um, prayer time, and I'm sure many of others have joined at different times through the week. We spent some time reading through Ephesians chapter 6 and praying about the spiritual battle that we as Christians face. And the battle is against this thief, the devil and all his ways. And what does he want to do? He wants to steal. He wants to kill. He wants to destroy. He's intent on destroying the church. And to do that, he might want you to know that you don't belong. And he wants you to know that you're not special and loved. That's the thief's work, to tell you you're not worth it. To tell you Jesus didn't die for you. To tell you it's all pointless. But what does the true shepherd say? He says, no, the thief tells you these things to steal, kill and destroy. But I, the good shepherd, Jesus says, have come to give you what? Life and life in abundance. Surpassing all measure. There's a joy to knowing Christ that you cannot find anywhere else in the world. And that is the joy that Jesus is speaking of here. And of course, to experience this abundant life, it starts with those foundational truths. First of all, I need to know my why. Why do I exist? I exist to belong to the living God. And when I know that I belong to him, I know just how special I am. And when belonging and knowing I'm loved come together, that's when we start experiencing this abundant life that he wants for each one of us. We talk an awful lot in the church, and it's a good thing about serving Christ. There's always lots of challenge. How am I living my life? Keep questioning this why. Just tonight, though, I don't want to challenge any of us with anything. I simply want to ask us this question. As we spend time serving Christ, here's a question to reflect on as you close Easter. Do you enjoy him? Some of the home groups have been thinking about this, haven't you? In your studies over the last few weeks and months. Do you enjoy Jesus? Do you enjoy the abundant life that he holds out to us? Because he doesn't just want us to serve him. He also wants us to enjoy him. And sometimes that means we've just got to stop. Just hear a bird sing. Feel the sun on our back. Read a verse of scripture that lifts our spirits. Enjoy laughing with our family. Just little pictures of that abundant life that he wants us to know. And so however you've come in today, whether you've come here on a high because you've had a great weekend or come here utterly broken, know that you belong. Know that you love, you're loved. And know that only in Jesus will you ever experience this abundant life. May that encourage your hearts as we go into the week ahead.